0: I miss when wrestlers were named after body parts, like Jack the Neck Vansky or Leo Shoulders Newman. Okay, let's start the show. For those who do not know, the
1: biggest wrestling spectacular, names from all over the country, Former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern and Superstar
0: Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkel. This is Cigars
1: in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you exclusively at OneGimmickWorld.com. I am your co-host, Jay Gilke, and I am sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from egotistical fantastico all the way to David Taylor, a wrestler, manager, commentator, and trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and also has a slight obsession with and proclivity for watching Beverly Hills 90210. With 20 years of experience, he is a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the incomparable, the one, the only, Derek St. Holmes. Derek, how are you doing? <lesbian women> <kindergarten> oh,
0: okay, there what you the...
1: go. I don't know. I didn't watch it. White guy. What was the, uh, um, I was a Melrose Place guy. Really? I never liked Melrose Place. Wait, no, I'm sorry. I was the Heights.
0: How do you talk to an angel?
1: Yes, show never recovered after one he beat of, up Donna Martin.
0: Yes, one of, one of the things uh, I regret in life is not going to see Jamie Walters when he played the Rock County 4-H Fair. <laughs> I just kept saying, I'll just never go a little later. I'll just Fair. go a little later. Well, yeah. And then when I got there, he was already gone. He spoke I asked that the angel. 4-H people if he was coming back. They said they didn't know.
1: They had no idea, but here's a nice quilt.
0: <laughs> you just Simpson's line went right over your head. So, I know. Anyway. I'm fine. No. Somebody I, got it. Somebody sometimes got it. I
1: just like to let them go, and I'm cool with that. Uh, speaking of something that's cool, we are getting into part two of Starcade, 1985.
0: The Gathering.
1: Yes, The Gathering. Um, last week, we covered five of the matches on the undercard, uh, culminating in the Tully Blanchard-Magnum TA-I-Quit match in a cage. Oh,
0: you know what we forgot to say about that? What was that? Magnum TA wearing the Western boots. Yes. Yes.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: There it is again. Don't worry. There's Western boots on this show, too. Yeah. Um. Again, we'll call it Starcade
1: 85, The Gathering, a.k.a. most people are wearing Western boots. Uh, Uh,
0: we haven't, no, maybe we didn't on the first show. We have to notice how many people are wearing white boots as well. Yeah. That that comes up on this show. Okay. Well, we'll get to that then. So what we're
1: going to do is, uh, we skipped a couple matches from the undercard that happened before the I quit match to throw those on this, uh, show just to even things out. So we're going to jump right back into it with the national championship match as we are looking at Terry Taylor versus
0: one Buddy Landell. Nature boy, Buddy Landell, the national champion. Yes, seconded and, by J.J. Dillon, who is plenty bandaged up from his earlier match. Right, and uh, if, if you remember from
1: week, yep, yep from last week, if you remember, he took a couple cowbell shots to the head, uh, split him wide open, comes back out. Uh, remi- the look is reminiscent of when. Uh, in the nineteen uh, old, the nineteen eighties, nineteen seventies, when men would cut themselves shaving and put toilet paper over the wound, and you would actually see the blood seeping. A little through. dot. Yes, but this wasn't so much a little dot as much as uh, a weeping red uh, dot uh, about the size of a quarter. Uh, on his head because it was all head. bandaged up. Yes. yes, which the worst uh, EMT staff in the world that just went and took a white bandage and just wrapped it several times around his forehead. I'm sure that was the EMT staff. And yes. uh, said, get, get yourself back out there. Um, Buddy Landell, uh, always something uh, or somebody, I should say, that i found – perplexing to me just for the fact that I always thought it was a strange fact that both Nature Boy Buddy Landell and Nature Boy Ric Flair were able to coexist in the same promotion at the same time. Uh, Tell me something about that.
0: Yes, they were eventually building up to a Nature Boy versus Nature Boy feud.
1: And that is the sole basis for why um, Buddy Landell had the nickname, do you think?
0: Uh, No, I think he had the nickname. I, I believe he had the nickname previous to coming there, but he also was in areas where Flair wasn't necessarily featured. Like, sure, he was the champ, but this is Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Gotcha. Whatever. So then uh, Dusty had the idea to bring Buddy over uh, this match. Uh, He already has the national championship. I believe this is the last title that Buddy Landell held in that area. The rumor goes that they were building for a big feud between Buddy Landell and Ric Flair and were possibly going to pass the belt to Landell for a little bit because Flair, I believe, had to take some time off. For a personal reason, okay. Uh, the allegedly, the show that uh, the TV taping that Buddy Landell was supposed—they were supposed to start this angle. Buddy overslept. Let's just say he was very tired from the night before. Yes. Uh, uh, by his own admission, he'll tell you he was his own worst enemy there and did have problems. This was a drug-related issue where he just did not want to make class or did not want to make the taping. I don't know if he showed up the next day or showed up three hours late. But uh, Dusty Rhodes walked up to him and said, Give me your belt. You don't have a job here anymore. And that was that. And that was that. Boom, Once again, busted that, back down to Memphis.
1: That through line that we see happening on the podcast so often wrestlers doing anything and everything they possibly yep. can to screw up their own careers. No
0: matter how good a deal is, a wrestler will screw
1: it up. Yep, for sure. It's beautiful. Um, and before we actually get into the match, I've been dying to tell you about the time that I met Buddy Landell. Um, The late Buddy Landell, by the way, too. Yes. He's passed away. Uh, It was probably, uh, I want to say, this might have been the summer of 2006 or 2007. I'd gone to the state fair, the Wisconsin state fair, with my lovely wife and my two young children. And we were walking through. Now, it might even actually, I think, yeah, it's probably about 2006 because I did not have a phone that took pictures (laughs) at that point. And, um... If you're, fami- if, if you're familiar with the products pavilion at the Wisconsin State Fair, uh, it's basically like a little infomercial stands throughout the entire um, giant pavilion. Uh, yes. Hundreds upon hundreds of um, slap chops and shamwoos and all kinds of things like that. And there's the Chinese chairmashas, too. Yes, yes. The, uh, that. And uh, by whirlpools and air conditioners, all anything you can imagine uh, in this uh, exhibit hall. And we're walking through, and we're going up and down the aisles. And uh, I freeze in my tracks because I'm looking at a booth. And I believe they were—they uh, might have either been selling some kind of um, aluminum siding or vinyl siding or something. I don't know exactly what it was. But there it was, Buddy Landell, in the booth. Brown hair? No, blonde hair.
0: Wow. Okay. Stan-
1: uh, just standing there. And I walked up and I just said, I'm sorry, are you Buddy Landell? And he says, that's what the jacket says, brother. And he had a satin jacket, 2006, a satin jacket on, Yes, said Buddy Landell. And on the back, it said, uh, like, uh, world champion, some kind of something or other embroidered on it. Nice. Um, Spent the next 15 minutes just talking to him. Nice. And uh, had a really nice conversation, real nice guy. uh, Informed him that I had some friends that worked at the local college radio station. And he was demanding... Uh, You got to get me on. I'm in town for the next week here. Uh, You know me. I don't I have no problem going on there and talking. I'll name names. I'll do you know, I'll say say whatever. That's what got me in trouble. My mouth, you know, I could never keep it shut and I still can't keep it shut. Uh, Here's my cell phone number. Give me a call. So here's this guy myself uh, sitting there um, thinking like, holy shit, I have Buddy Landell's phone number. Yeah. Uh, and this is before I uh, was right, uh, involved right, in the right. wrestling business. So um, it was a little bit more shocking that this uh, classic uh, wrestler was just so willing to give me his phone number for me to try to get him on the college radio station, um, which I did try to explain to him. You know, I don't know how many people would really be listening. Doesn't matter. It's a thing. And stage. he was still like, brother, it's I'll still get on there. And I'm thinking, you know, between, um, uh, hey, that was Modest Mouse. Or that, you know, or some uh, independent or, uh, or some... That was the Dead Kennedys. Now I'm sitting here with uh, wrestling champion Buddy Landell. Um, I just figured it wasn't going to be a good um, match. Uh, so I have yes, his phone number. so wrong. I, I so know, wrong. I know. And uh, I wish I would have acted on that. Um, I still have his phone number on a piece of paper somewhere in my house. <laughs> of course, it's not good anymore. Um, but the uh, epilogue to this is that that night... Um, My band was playing a concert, and I proceeded to spend 10 minutes between songs talking about Buddy Landell to the audience, who clearly had no clue who he was, um, but I was still just gobsmacked at the fact that I got the chance to meet him.
0: Now, see, in that situation, and this is what I've tried to do, especially if there's live commentary at a venue is try to say that one reference that is so obscure, only one person will get it, but that one person will stand up and shout. Yes, and be excited. Yes! In this case, nobody
1: knew what I was talking about whatsoever. You need better Um, friends. Right, I do. And uh, to make matters not worse, or just to paint the picture a little bit better, this is before they were actually doing wrestling matches at State Fair. So this was just out of blue. Imagine... You know, slap chop here, sham while there, and then here is Buddy Landell just standing there selling something.
0: Well, uh, that's not really as strange as you'd think. I believe Austin Idol also got into the multi-level marketing world, or, okay. or, or somehow like would do endorsements like that. But think about it; these guys are trained to talk and get over and win your trust, right? You know, so they they you know it's a perfect sales job.
1: And he was a perfect gentleman, I, and I've always appreciated him um, because okay. of that time we met. <laughs>
0: give you a tender kiss upon your departure no it's just great or, you know
1: okay. because it, if it was him with the brown hair it would have been like uh but the fact that it was like the right he was still working satin it. jacket Love it. Love like it that. looks like he stepped out of the time machine and just showed up like at somebody just
0: said hey we got this this unit going on up to wisconsin you know who we need there buddy Lando. <laughs>
1: let's bring him in
0: let's bring him in uh, as a weak shot over at the state fair.
1: Um, uh, so all right, so uh, sorry about that a little side. anyway, but buddy great. Landell,
0: I mean, sure, we joke about this. but in this match, notable just working the classic nature boy style. yes, uh, lots of bumping, lots of begging off. Um, if you look at, you know, Flair had the same style and buddy, it, you know, there's a brawler style and there's a scientific right. style, but this it it's best defined as the nature boy style. Yes, Just for sure. Very good. You know, is very good at what he does. Buddy Landell was always kind of a uh, a, a genius at wrestling. He, again, he even said his worst enemy was himself. Right. You know, right. He had all the tools, could do it all. I w- personally, being from the upper Midwest, would have liked it if he would have lost the twang, but. That's just me. Yeah, that's a good point. That kind of just pulled me out of the whole nature boy thing. It's just, yeah, well, I'm the nature boy, and let me tell you something. It's just like, yeah, it just doesn't work right for me.
1: No, I agree. I agree. Uh, go that ahead. was good. No, I was just
0: gonna say, and then you know we have Terry Taylor
1: uh, in the match too.
0: <laughs> no, not to say that. Uh, my notes on that Terry Taylor, a solid baby face. Yes. Um, somewhat lacking in charisma, but. Always in the right place at the right time. Able to work that babyface style to get some heat and come back. Uh, One of the first people I saw that did the leg slap to sell punches. Okay. Like, every once in a while, I'd be watching him. Oh, God, he just took his head off with that. And all of a sudden, you're looking. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Playing his day right in front of you.
1: uh, He wasn't in the match either. But um, what was great about this match, though, it was a real nice give and take back and forth. Like Mm -hmm. you said, you Mm -hmm. had... Um, both guys kind of getting a chance to really show their stuff. They gave him a little time to work. Um, J.J. Dillon serving his purpose on the outside. Um, no blood in this match at this point, well, except I for mean, J.J.'s. Yeah, uh, but uh, I guess you
0: can't really count that. Also, no Western boots in this match. Both men wearing um, uh, standard boots, Landell wearing the the regular boot but terry taylor having the wingtips
1: yes yes yes
0: um buddy landell ends up winning uh this was well, just wait before we get to that sure. there's a ref bump in this match this is the second time sonny fargo was bumped on the same show oh yeah that's right which i don't Forgot don't really that. agree with right like if the ref is bumped he shouldn't be out there again for another match. but at this and point especially shouldn't be bumped again sure but at this point the show is just everything's gratuitous
1: on this show, uh, yeah, no blood in this match, right? But you know what I mean, though. Yes. it's like we've had blood, we've had the boots, we've had everything you can imagine, and you know, and multiple ref bumps. It's just at this point, this show is just—it's like the kitchen sink has been thrown out the window, right? And it, everything is just fair game.
0: However, this finish—you um,
1: really you like this finish? I a lot. like
0: this finish. Terry Taylor tries to throw the superplex on Buddy Landell. Dylan reaches up and pulls the foot off the ropes. Yeah. Uh, Landell falls on top of him. Uh, this finish has been done not so much like that, but it was notable for the Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior finish. JJ yes. uh, Dillon did not reach in and pull the hold the foot down, but it was the same up in a maneuver, pull that foot out, boom, can fall on top for the cover. Right. So this is one thing I love when I am trying to explain the finish. I'm like, well, it's that Buddy Landell. Oh no, no, no! You have to update it and say, no, it's the Warrior. Right. Rude, but even now, I'm sure there's something else. And I
1: can't remember, did Buddy flop over on top of Terry Taylor as he came down? Or did he actually take the superplex and then roll over on top
0: of him? No, I, I believe he landed on top of him. Okay, I, I remember it as, as landing on top sure. of him. Sure, absolutely. Uh, this match was, <laughs> this finish was actually suggested to me when I was wrestling my good friend Dysfunction a long time ago. And I had to came up, I'm like, we can't do that finish. Well, why not? Dysfunction doesn't throw suplexes. Oh, I guess you're right. (laughs) Right. You know, but it's like, hey, you got to, if you're going to use a finish that makes sense, you can't suddenly have somebody that's noted for punching and kicking throw on a sleeper hold or something like that. No, absolutely. It it has to be, you know, it has to be what the people have seen before. So if you want to start that finish, you can start them using that sleeper hold two or three shows ahead of time so that it gets built up and the people realize what it is. Maybe put in an angle where he rescues somebody and puts them out with the sleeper hold, a la the Weaver Lock. Yep. Johnny Weaver, haha. Um, you know, and that's, you have to establish it. You can't You can't just surprise the people with something and expect them to buy it because that's insulting. Right. They want to buy into the show as much as you want them to believe it. Therefore, you can't challenge their suspension of disbelief beyond a certain point, or else it gets silly. Sure. Now, having said that, I just got on some imaginary soapbox here. It is okay within the context of a show to go back and forth if you can replace everything in the match. For example, you can have... Uh, Tully Blanchard and Rick Steamboat here, and then you can put Bugsy McGraw and Jimmy Valiant here, and then you follow that up with Magnum T A against Nikita Koloff. You can have the serious and goofy and serious, but it has to be a total new wrestlers, new referee, new everything. It's a you're, reset. Yeah, you're resetting the people's perceptions of what they can believe in the construct of the match you're presenting at that point. Right. Um. There's a. a a great meandering story that I'm not going to pull you all through, but it's essentially Robert Reed arguing with Sherwood, Sherwood Schwartz about the Greg's hair turns orange episode of the okay. Brady Bunch. And he sends him this huge letter explaining there's this type of comedy and there's this type of comedy. And he compared the orange hair and the Brady Bunch to Batman showing up in the operating room of mash. Interesting. And that's what I always think of. And things like this, you have to, Stay within the construct of what you're building. If you introduce some odd variable, it's just going to confuse and disorient people. Yeah, right. So
1: that makes perfect sense, and I'm going to use that from now on. I think. Please, I like that. Batman in the operating room. Yeah, that's definitely that'll be. Yeah, that's a great expression. Um, so good. So we're gonna read dead. Yeah. Sherwood Schwartz dead. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Everybody's dead. Um, did I tell you the Sherwood Schwartz story? About uh, um, the comments he made at Robert Reed's funeral? Yes. Okay, Well, yes. we won't. then we won't go there. Um, that, that's for fan. our other podcast where we talk about the
0: Brady Bunch. Yes. Oh. Um. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, Brady Bunch needed a rep- wrestling
1: episode. It, it absolutely <laughs> yes. did. Yes. I, I agree with that. Um, <sighs> speaking of wrestling, Buddy Landell goes over on the match, national championship. Bobby uh,
0: wants to be a wrestler. Yes. Starts beating up people at school until he gets visited by the uh, the mighty Igor Dick Garza, who actually had a degree in business and was able to play the stock markets, suddenly Bobby's world gets broken open. That wrestlers don't have to be brutes and they can go to school too. And he learns a very valuable lesson.
1: That's amazing. Boom! Right
0: there. Should have copyright
1: been that. Should have been. Um, done. mark the date. That's Derek's idea. Damn it. Ah, uh, very good. So uh, Buddy Landell goes over, takes us to the next match, another championship match again. Why not throwing everything out the window tonight? This is uh, um, all the different titles. I mean, how many titles are defended on this show? Lots. Lots and lots and lots. Well,
0: remember at this time, you've got the Atlanta promotion and essentially the mid-Atlantic area. So you've got the national title. Where did we start? Did we start at the Omni? Uh, No, we started in Greensboro. Started in Greensboro for the vacant mid-Atlantic title. Yes. Uh, So you had the mid-Atlantic the U.S. title uh, and whatever their tag team championship was up there, so they're defended on that show. But you also had the Atlanta promotion with the national titles, right? Uh, the national tag team champions here, and the the other match was for the national. Uh, t- Terry Taylor and Buddy Landell were for the national championship right. as well. So you you. It's all presented under the same banner, but you've really got two different regions and those regions' regional titles being defended as right. well. No, That's that why makes there's sense. so many so many titles on this show. So this one is almost like an exhibition because it's champions versus
1: champions. Um, you have uh, Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Oli and Arn Anderson. Yes, yes. Uh, and what champions were they? Do you remember? Did you have that written down? They were the Channel? national champions. They were the national champions against uh, Wahoo McDaniel, Cowboy Boots.
0: Uh, No, not cowboy boots. He didn't have cowboy boots? No, he had the white fringy boots. Oh, that's right. So it's like a variation of the uh, I had boots written down, and uh, I just assumed
1: that I meant that. Uh, And his tag team partner, someone who I did not remember being in this promotion or in this territory, Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Jack Haynes.
0: Billy Jack Haynes, yes. He was already Mr. Oregon. Uh, Incidentally, both members of the Babyface team wearing white boots. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I like that. Uh, Billy Jack Haynes uh, got a really big push at this time. Not necessarily that great of a wrestler. Deceptively tall. Yes. Looking back at him. Uh always always legitimately crazy. But he looked good on the After magazine's covers when they were banned from the WWF rings. Oh, okay. Like there was a while there where they didn't allow photography and couldn't have anybody on their covers. Right. That's when Kerry Von Erich and Billy Jack Haynes and these guys that looked the great muscle on, a, guys that looked yeah, good. they look great on a cover. That's you know how they got their national prominence because Vince tried to do his own magazine, gotcha, which was crap. Yeah, hated the WWF magazine. Again, you knew it was being written by people in the office, but it was just so blatantly like a house trumpet, of right? You know, we're not going to acknowledge any other wrestling. You're just going to like this. It's like, well, but all this other stuff is going on. I mean, granted, that was my perspective. I didn't know that everybody in the WWF had an extra zero at the end of their paycheck. You know, right? I I had no idea that. I just wanted my wrestling. Right. Yeah. You had to take what you get. Um. What do you think of the match? Yeah, it was a tag team match.
1: Yeah, uh, there wasn't really much to it. It was actually pretty short, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit of a filler on there. Um thing that surprised me, uh, Wahoo takes the heat for the match.
0: Uh, that's not necessarily surprising because this is at the tail end of Wahoo's career, who's uh, at this point still legitimately tough enough he could beat up the entire right. You know, stadium <laughs> right, uh, and do it with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. But it just made more sense to build the hot tag to the young talent, you know, and Wahoo sure. understood that, but, you know, made sure everybody had to work for it. Uh, you really like the finish to this match. Yeah, I
1: thought it was good um, where uh, Wahoo, uh, I believe, kind of bullies Arn into the corner, into his mm-hmm. own corner. Um, Oli jumps off the apron, goes to the floor. Uh, grabs Wahoo's boot, trips him backwards a la Rick Rude, mm-hmm. Ultimate Warrior, holds the leg down, Arnfall
0: flops down on top, gets the one, two, three. Now, the one thing that finish brought up for me was the fact that there are these tag team wrestling maneuvers. Well, one, you don't really see them today because you know, tag team wrestling is very different. Yes. But in these tag team-centric territories, like the Carolinas or whatever, where guys had to get all of this time, you know, you you were able to work different spots. Right. Uh, I guess the only surviving equivalent is where Jim Cornette lays out the few Midnight Express spots that they would do. But all of the, it was just such a, a melting pot. Everybody was bringing in things they had seen and things they had done. So you had these tag teams, tag team tactics that you don't really see like, uh, the partner jumping off the ring, running around and pulling the other person off the ring. So they can't get the tag oh, and sure, then running right. back around. There were ways to play with the tag team concept to make it interesting and make it creative that you just don't see anymore. Right. Just because the art has changed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, again, and granted the, the new way draws money. So right. whatever, fuck you.
1: Right. So, uh, again, not a long match. Sorry. Um, but, you know, pretty quick, uh, Again, Olin are going over with uh, a, a two matches in a row now, where our legs kind of pulled out. Uh, trip is done. Well, now on.
0: remember, this isn't in the, the point of the show. This is just how we're presenting it. Uh, but those two were done in order. Yeah, shut up. So
1: that's just the way it is. So very good. So we're going to move on from that one because, again, there's not much really to say. A Typical tag team match. But this next match is not a typical tag team match. This is a Louisville street fight. Yes. Um.
0: So excited for this one. Coming
1: to the ring. So excited. Uh, the Midnight Express with, of course, uh, dum, 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 James dum, E. Cornette. Dum, 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 dum. Um, oh, yes.
0: We forgot to mention, we were watching a network edition of this tape. Yes. Oh, that's and right. so we had the horrible dubbed-in music for everybody. Yes, everything was completely dubbed-in, and it sounded atrocious. Yeah, so the Midnights had a sound-alike for Giorgio Moroder's The Chase, but in my head, I was playing it myself. The, the real one, right. And so um, this is the, uh, the uh, I don't want to say the, uh,
1: maybe the original Midnight Express. Uh, this is the uh, Dennis Condry, Bobby Eaton version um, coming to the ring for... A Louisville street fight. If you're having a Louisville street fight, what would you wear if you were the Midnight Express? I would wear tuxedos. Yes. yes uh, because and, I am a Louisville gentleman. Right. And so that was kind of a surprise to see that uh, Midnight Express come out. And uh, not not even black tuxedos. They came out in stark white Yeah, like the tuxedos. whole uh, uh,
0: dumb and dumber type thing. Yeah. I just had to laugh because... Like, number one Paul Jones and the Midnight Express coming out there in these tuxedos. Like, who's putting down the security deposit for those? Right. You right. know, like th- those just—they're—they're they're not. Sorry, Netterbos, they are not going back. Right, that's or, somewhere where they—they they get them in towns. They yeah. stop
1: in just some town somewhere and pick them up and just never return them. Yeah, yeah, that's you can, you uh, charge them the office. Right, right. So uh, we're but, looking at the. So mid- it's
0: just the midnights in the match by themselves, right? Uh, no. Wait,
1: do they have opponents? They do have opponents. Ooh, uh, opponents. Uh, one would be uh, Boogie Woogie, Jimmy <sighs> Valiant,
0: the Boogie Woogie
1: Man, um, and uh, he's accompanied to the ring by Big Mama. Yes. Uh, which? Uh, is, Wait a minute. Is Big Mama wrestling in the match? No, Big Mama's not wrestling in the match. The person who is wrestling in the match is uh, Miss Atlanta Lively.
0: Oh, She's a looker.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. One of my favorite parts right out of the gates with this match uh, goes again to the fashion sense and the fact that Jimmy Valiant is wearing a T-shirt that just simply says
0: Street People USA. Yes, I mean, and, and the big tag or um, uh, bell bottom yeah. jeans.
1: How great, Street People USA. Boogie. Um, I have in the last couple days. I've thought about trying to create a make a T shirt of that, just because I think it's so great. Nobody would get it. I know, but that does. Okay, I have the uh, I broke Wahoo's leg T
0: shirt, and yeah, nobody yes. gets that yes. one either. So no, um, I've I've seen that one. Um, Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant. One time. For a few years it was my goal to figure out song lyrics to put on the back of trunks. And so I had like a list of short things like night moves or Mr. Big stuff. stuff which, I like which, night which, moves. Yeah, see, but I figured I'm sorry, I figured I was too old to be wearing something like that. Okay. I, that that's a that's a good looking kid in his late twenties. Sure. But no, not me, because then it's just creepy. But I stopped playing when I saw a tape of Boogie Woogie wearing his K and H trunks, and on the back they just said "Lay Down, Sally." (laughs) Like, (laughs) damn! How great, yeah. Boogie wins. I mean, not not surprising, but Boogie wins. Yeah, that's pretty outstanding. You can't go wrong with that one. So Boogie Woogie tagging with Miss Atlanta Lively. Can we talk about Miss Atlanta Lively, please? Oh, yes. That was the opener right there.
1: Um, Yes. Uh, So Miss Atlanta Lively, for those of you who have not seen this and are confused by the name, um, and I don't want to shock too many people, Miss Atlanta Lively wasn't actually a female. What? I know. I'm going to break this news to you. Um, Miss Atlanta Lively was uh, Hands of Stone Ronnie Garvin. Right?
0: Who was it? You don't believe in Santa Claus either. Come
1: on.
0: Okay, yeah. So Yes, uh, yes, uh, yes. the hands of stone, Ronnie Garvin, who was recruited by uh Jimmy Valiant to deal with uh the nefariousness of the Midnight Express, who I believed had threatened uh Big Mama at some yes. point. Yes. And to really paint the picture of who um Miss Atlanta
1: Lively is, you have to think about the whole package that you're getting out there at the ring. <laughs> no it's- pun intended. She's um, not really a girl, right? So um, you start off with uh, a wig, a incredibly tight, big blonde, big wig, permed uh, that manages to stay on the entire match. Yes, I found that to be shocking. Well, so I much just so, keep so that
0: going, we'll get into it.
1: But I mean, but so much so that I thought maybe he had a chin strap on it because. Oh yeah, that can make sense. Uh, it really it, it defied physics. And nature, uh, better than sense. the
0: tights. Don't don't forget we get the tights.
1: Right, right. Um, he then had like a one piece um, sweater dress.
0: Yes, it was. I thought it was very smart. Why? Why is that? Please what, explain. Well, it was just impeccably tailored. Smart is in a good choice. Okay,
1: fair enough. Um, Sarcasm. It looked like a Bill Cosby sweater. Yes, a tight Bill Cosby sweater stretched. Uh, but had a belt. Had but a had belt, a belt on it, right? Um, but it was it w- it was form fitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, fake breasts. What?
0: I, I believe so. Um, That's a lot of lighting. Have tights,
1: right? Or leggings? Yeah,
0: wearing the leggings. But as over the course of the match, like the leggings got pulled down, and then he had those weird flesh colored tights underneath. Yes. So I couldn't tell like if he was wearing. Like a fat suit or a woman's suit kind right. of thing. To fill or, out the curves or whatever it or might be. Or just wanted to wear multiple sets of tights under all of these ring lights. Right. And the part I am most impressed with. The high heels. Heels. Yeah. The whole match was Ronnie Garvin heels. worked in heels. Okay. A wig,
1: a, dre- a sweater dress, and high heels.
0: Yeah. I guess. Good for Ronnie Garvin. Now, I always wondered about this. I told you I've always been wanting to see a biography or autobiography of Ronnie Garvin, one that was written, hopefully, by Crowbar Press. Buy everything from Crowbar Press, as I always say. Yes. Uh, Because he spent a lot of time with Terry Garvin, who's well-known for working the office in the WWF, but was an incredible wrestler, incredible booker back in the day, noted to be a homosexual, and did the cross-dressing gimmick. Okay. So... I'm just wondering like what rubbed off or if he learned, hey, if you're going to wear a wig in the ring, you got to have a chin strap or something something. like like what what got passed down from that part. Right. Uh, This match had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I have it. It's kind of a schmoz. Yeah, big time. But the weird part, Miss Atlanta Lively, who's ostensibly a woman in this match wicked color absolutely just incredible yes. wasn't 10 seconds in though no the uh, midnights were 10 seconds in it was about
1: a minute i thought of yes. the midnights uh it was it was quick again right. both right. of them right away just lit up and quick so. uh, no western boots in this match not at all not no at all boots. um but uh yes uh did i don't did uh jimmy get color I believe so. He might have got a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. I think all four of them would. Have there got was it. powder thrown. Yeah. In well, this. powder the...
0: was th- powder was in ten seconds.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's right. That was the one that was the quick. Yeah. Uh, the quick uh, toss out there, and then yeah. So you have all competitors bleeding. The Miss Atlanta Lively bleeding, and again uh, another uh, buckets. Like I mean, the face. Yeah. Um, it felt in this day and age, and I'm not the kind of person to get like retroactively offended or shocked, but like. It felt wrong yeah watching it now. It like really just didn't fit and I'm not a PC guy by any stretch of the imagination, but it really was just kind of like so does everybody in the audience know that it's Ron Garvin and does that still make it okay? I don't know.
0: Well, I don't know if this is related, but I do recall like in the follow-up to this, like on TV, like they did not have clips of that match. Okay. You, they never showed the finish. And, like, it just wasn't referred to. So I'm wondering if that created some heat, like, yeah, this was an idea that we probably shouldn't have done or yeah. something like that. And this
1: was another one we talked kitchen sink already yeah. where they throw everything at you. got powder, you got blood, weapons, all that. Uh, and then, of course, it leads to Cornette getting stripped at the end. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So, you know, and, and then and the the fakest thing of the whole night are the hearts on Jim Cornette's boxer shorts. I mean, two giant red hearts clearly sewn on, like as if they couldn't find, uh, well, I guess at that point, maybe 1985, um, festive boxer shorts weren't a thing. I don't know. Maybe.
0: Eh, it still wasn't uh, socially acceptable to go into those stores. Sure.
1: And so uh, they just, the the shorts just look, um, his boxer shorts look. True. I was always a
0: fan of the heel wearing a woman's garter belt. Sure. And then claiming it was for, like, support of very close. Like, there was a medical reason right. they had to wear that and stuff like that. Right. As opposed to the crazy boxer shorts. Also with the crazy boxer shorts was uh, Jimmy Hart. Yes. But, of course, he, you know, WWF could afford to make real, real good shorts. Real, boxer real nice shorts. boxer shorts. Yes, that's
1: what I've always heard. WWF makes real good boxer shorts. Yes. Um, so, winners in that match, uh, Miss Atlanta Lively, Jimmy Valiant, uh, Big Mama.
0: Boogie Woogie. Again, kind of a mess all over the place. Big uh, Mama just sloshing all over ringside. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Very uh very gifted, very gifted very woman. Very gifted woman, for sure. Uh also a florist. Really? Yeah. Uh part of Jimmy Valiant's deal when he moved in, like he had to he had to get money for his move and buy a business for his wife. Like okay. Boogie always took care of these weird He was able to move into the memphis territory like jerry lawler and jerry Jarrett, ask him what do we need to do to make you come here and and homestead here it's like ah you gotta buy me a house so they bought a house with a 30-year note for jimmy valiant who came in and then after some period of time six weeks eight weeks 12 weeks you know not not an extension long of time either put the keys in Lawler's hand one night at a show or mailed them back to him and just kind of said, sorry, guys, got to go. Wow. And that's when he relocated back to uh, Mid-Atlantic. <laughs> uh, they were able to sell the house because in retrospect, they're like, what were we thinking? Like, this guy's not going to draw this money for... Right. Well, it was a structured deal where... They bought him a house, and then he was salaried at like fifteen hundred a week or whatever. Sure. But the gimmick was they would book him out to other places, like back to Mid Atlantic, but still pay him the fifteen hundred a week. But then they would get all the money that he would earn, so they would make money. You know, like what Jimmy would make. Yeah. Right. You know. So that's how it, you know, and then Jimmy kind of saw he was getting screwed. He had a place to live and was getting regular money, but you know, whatever. Who knows why Jimmy makes his decisions. Uh, moved out. They went in and tried to sell the house, but in the short amount of time they had lived there, they had painted everything in the house black. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Very, which you wouldn't expect from Jimmy Vallon. Hey, Jimmy was, uh, pretty big into the substances at this point. Sure. So no, I'm knows. sure. But black who just knows? seems real dour. Well, he just saw a red door and wanted to paint it black. Oh boy. Crazy. And by the way, speaking of red, what I was going to say, though, uh, I was going to make a
1: joke about, have you ever seen Kentucky Fried Movie? Yes. If you're a tourist, call your florist. Eh. Sorry. <laughs> I just always like that line.
0: Jacob Pfeffer was born on December 10, 1894, near Warsaw, Poland. In 1921 while working as a booking agent-slash-porter-slash-stagehand for a traveling theatrical-slash-ballet company, he emigrated to the United States. During the 20s, Pfeffer was eager to jump on the back of what he saw as the emerging theatrical spectacle of professional wrestling. In Chicago in 1924, he assembled a troop of Eastern European heavyweights, and he was quick to see the ethnic attraction in pro wrestling for the immigrant community. His foreign exotics such as the big-footed Russian Cossack Ivan Pedubny, were built up as contenders and later matched against the American champions. After achieving great success in the Midwest, Pfeffer ventured to the East Coast in 1929 and aligned himself with New York's number one wrestling promoter, Jack Curley. He found himself working with the Wrestling Trust, alongside such personalities as Joe Tootsmont, Ray Fabiani, and Rudy Miller. Jimmy the Golden Greek Landis was the Trust's Golden Goose. Pfeffer's unofficial title for the Trust was the head scout-slash-manager of European Talent. One of the best was a bearded pogo stick Sergei Kalmakov, a former tailor on New York's East Side. When Jim Landis abandoned Curley in 1932, Pfeffer made a failed bid for control of the New York region and sided against Curley in favor of the Midwest Alliance consisting of Jim Landis, and Tom Pax. In 1933, he was left out in the cold as Curly was able to extend the wrestling trust's reach to include all the top regional promotions of North America, including the Midwest. With Curly and the wrestling trust back in control and dividing all the profits among themselves, everyone was happy except Jack Pfeffer, who found himself on the outside of the business. A dark period ensued for the wrestling community as a vindictive Pfeffer did his best to topple his former partners. Pfeffer, aka the Halitosis Kid for his hygiene, did the unmentionable. He went to the press. In 1934, through interviews with Dan Parker of the New York Daily Mirror, Pfeffer described the full extent of the sports fakery. The impact was immediate and it was no longer viewed by the media as a competitive sport. As a result of Pfeffer's stunning admission, pro wrestling had suddenly become a laughingstock, and sports writers no longer covered its results since it was no longer deemed to be legitimate competition. Furthermore, with the nation immersed in the Great Depression, pro wrestling gates plummeted in New York, and in October 1934, Ring Magazine proclaimed the end of, quote, Honest to goodness wrestling matches, unquote. At that point, pro wrestling as pure theatrical entertainment became the accepted form of a once noble and sometimes competitive sport. With attendance plummeting, the New York region was wide open and Pfeffer again began booking matches in the smaller local New York arenas. It is speculated that Pfeffer was involved in the 1936 Dick Shycat shoot win over the Trust's new champion Dano O'Mahony en route to stealing the championship from Jack Curley. The Trust subsequently filed an injunction against Shycat, but before the trial ever got started, Tootsmont paid Pfeffer 17 grand to double-crossed half and his champion Ali Baba by maneuvering the title onto Dave Levine. Pfeffer then sold Levine's contract to Curly and Mont in order to re-establish his industry ties. However, the trust ultimately blew up when the other promoters refused to work alongside Pfeffer, thus ending the alliance as each territory began promoting its separate title holders. From the late 30s through the 1960s, Jack Pfeffer continued to market wrestling as theatrical entertainment, using outlandish storylines and freakish characters. He is said to have popularized novelty matches such as tag team wrestling, women's wrestling, midget bouts, and the use of the blood capsule. Pfeffer is responsible for propelling the early career of Nature Boy Buddy Rogers as well as the careers of The Amazing Zuma, Araka Clone, and The Zebra Kid. A great supporter of women's wrestling, he actively booked both Mildred Burke and the fabulous Moolah. He became notorious for using imposters with knockoff names such as Bummy Rogers and Hobo Brazil. On September 13, 1974, in a nursing home in Massachusetts, Jack Pfeffer passed away at the age of 79.
1: That moves us along to the NWA Tag Team title match held inside the steel cage. This was the main event in Greensboro. Yes. Uh, we had... The uh, tag team champions, the uh, Russians of Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff, joining them at ringside was uh, the defector, uh, Crusher Khrushchev. uh, And their opponents were the Rock and
0: Roll Express with uh, who? Seconded by Don Kernodal. Yes. Why? Eh, Why not? Well, no, Don was coming off of (sighs) he was a Russian defector as well. And then they beat him up and he became an all-American guy. And that's why he was down there with the... Um, yes, because, red, well, white, Don blue. Kernodal was in the tag team with Sergeant Slaughter. Yes. And they had the uh, the great series with Rick Steamboat and uh, the guy that died, Jay, Jay Youngblood. Yes. Uh, so he was like there as an American and then he went over and joined the Russians. Okay. And then they beat him up. So now he wants to be American again. And I think after this is when, no, he was already in the WWF at this point. Yes. Like, but just as like an opening match jobber and then came back home or whatever. One of the things we joked. probably made more money, but. You know, right,
1: whatever. sure. Uh, we joked about it that it made sense that uh, Crusher Khrushchev was still in his gear, but Don Karnotl had no reason to be wearing his gear. Yeah, yeah, fully geared up. Full, like he was in uh, his, his red, white, and blue singlet <laughs> outside the ring. Um, Boots, wrist tape Yeah I mean Could there have been A dark match somewhere That he was involved with Before uh, that? Probably no. not right? No They had I mean, 10
0: matches Yeah I mean, It was definitely it was They a didn't thing. have I remember dark matches Back then were a different thing They were called dark matches Because they were at TV tapings But they didn't film them Right The cameras were dark Right That's what a dark match was This this opening match crap That happens Those aren't dark matches They have music They're taped They're not
1: uh, Okay Sorry, there it is—the grumpster coming out. Mm. So, um, a good take team match, of uh, course. Ba- you know, the whole time, uh, you know, Ivan Koloff gets broken open pretty quick into the
0: match. Yeah, well, Ivan Koloff was the ring general of that that team, much like Wahoo McDaniel's twilight of his career at this point. Yes, yes, very much so. But he was also involved in the training of Nikita Koloff. Now, Nikita Koloff was Scott Simpson from Minnesota. Uh, Dusty came up with this idea, oh, I want to do this Russian nightmare. Who can I use? And I believe he was sitting at home with a broken leg and hadn't trained with Eddie Sharkey but was friends with the Road Warriors and Crusher Darzell and all those, you know, Rick Rude and all those guys. So they suggested him. He came down to, you know, came down to Jim Crockett's office, took his shirt off, and they said, shave your head and you're in but hadn't had any formal training at this point. So they did what they could to get him ready for the TV tapings that week and showed him how to throw a clothesline and, you know, just very rudimentary training. And they went out to do the first match. And before he walks out through the curtain, uh, Jim Crockett looks at Ivan Koloff and says, if he trips, the deal is off. <laughs> just basically you walk out there and do this, but if you look stupid, we're canceling it and we're sending you back home. And that's it, and that's the end. So he went out there and won a match in 20 seconds with a clothesline, probably broke the kid's nose given it, but boom, one, two, three, and that's the start of Ivan Koloff. So Nikita Koloff is relatively new at this point, okay. like yep. less than two or three years in. Sure. And he's in there with the Rock and Roll Express, who are, of course, superlative at what they do. Right. And Ivan Koloff, who's former... WWF champion he beat Bruno San Martino you know Yep, sure do
1: yeah yeah. Uh, so you know this match uh, another match where it uh, was going to result in a pinfall Uh, we'd mentioned it um, in watching this I love the idea of a cage match where it's win by pinfall or submission the escaping from the cage gimmick is the worst thing. It is the absolute worst.
0: Yes, I think that was more of a New York thing. Yeah, um, which of course took over with the ascension of the WWF and everything like that. But that could have been much more visual to have somebody climb over the top of the top of the cage than take the the pinfall in I, the middle. Y-
1: right, but I just, I mean, and again, we talked about this, and I apologize, but the listeners at home didn't hear this. If <laughs> you're enough. a if you're a, a baby face. And the way to win the match is to kind of like run away to escape by climbing out of the cage. I think it's such a cowardly
0: looking act. I, I see what you're saying. The whole gist of that was you're supposed to beat your opponent enough that he can't stop you from leaving. Right. So, yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying, but I'm a fan of, yeah, keeping it in the ring right. and having a match in the cage. Right.
1: And a very end-all, be-all kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, talking cage matches as well, I think that's why I also really enjoyed uh, the aspect of when AWA would do a lot of the Crusher and Bruiser versus the Blackjacks, and they'd make Keenan come in the cage with them. Right. I always love that idea too. I think that could you know you can do it either way. You know you do a cage match where the manager is outside the ring and maybe throws a chair in, on a la baby doll, or something like that. Right. Causes uh and then do the return with the cage again, but this time the manager is in the cage and can't escape either. Right. 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 I think like that is awesome strategy, awesome booking.
0: Um, but yeah, could you, be. You'd have to have the right people there. Right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Heenan was absolutely the right person to to have on that.
0: I never heard of him. Never heard of him. Um but
1: yet this just incredible guy keeps popping up in these yeah, podcast. Good kid, good kid. Uh so this um, Take Team match no, tell no, me a little more.
0: Just wait, no western boots in this match. Yeah, no, yeah, cuz it's rock and roll. But Russian boots. Yes. Yes, the the uh, Russian rock boots. and roll is wearing white boots under their um uh bandanas. What uh, remember they came out to really awful music as well? Uh yeah, but Back then,
1: it was rock and roll as king, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and before that in Memphis, it was um, rock and roll all night. But we dun, talked about dun, it earlier where dun, they're not, they can't play the right music, so they had a WWE network has to. Oh yeah, we uh, record, so it just is a big kind of mess with that. Um, I don't know if it's uh, if you have anything else to add to this one because I'd like to take it to the finish because that to me is the, the yes, best part. Go right ahead. So. You're looking at a basic tag team match. Everything was great. Fantastic. Tag team cage match. Tag team cage match. Uh, Robert Gibson takes most of the beating in this one. He's busted open. Mm -hmm. Um, Nikita, not a scratch to be had on him. Looks strong the entire time. I'm not sure if Nikita
0: ever bladed. Yeah, I don't think so. Very, very low amount of time. Yeah.
1: You know, Ivan Koloff busted open. Um, Ricky Morton takes the hot tag. Comes in. Rolls up
0: o'connor roll o'connor
1: roll on ivan koloff one two three three gets pushed off ivan does like juts his legs out you know and like Uh like he kicks out morton flies into the cage the match
0: is done and then proceeds to get color boom after the match also on the outside crusher khrushchev sneaks up on don kernodal throws him into the cage Gets color. Uh, uh, Not into the cage in the ring. Just throws him into the wall. Boom. Gets color on the outside of the ring. Right. In his gear. Right.
1: Exactly. For a match
0: he didn't. Like.
1: Right. So the Russians come in the ring now. I
0: brought it. I'm going to put it on. Uh, I'm going to put it
1: on. Instead of throwing Ricky Morton out the cage out the door. Yeah. They decided to throw him out. Just bum rush him up
0: over the top. Like he was on the top <laughs> buckle. He went up, put his shoulder underneath and whoop, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Boom. So he gets tossed out.
1: The um, Which leaves Robert Gibson in the ring. He takes a, uh, like a modified doomsday device, almost like the back suplex. Um, uh,
0: yeah. But I think that was the Russian hammer.
1: Right. Where then Nikita comes off the top with the, uh, yeah. the clothesline.
0: Um, and, you
1: know, and, and he folds up. Robert Gibson sells like a champ. Yep. Folds up. Um, They cut to a shot of the outside of Ricky Morton, bleeding buckets, and Don Cronoble bleeding, just sitting on their knees, uh, worked over. They're selling Um, it, it, baby. Yeah. So uh, even though the Russians lost and the Rock and Rolls end up winning the NWA Tag Team titles, the Russians still look strong in the end of the match. Absolutely. And that's your main event from the Greensboro Coliseum, which then leads us into the main event. At the Omni, which comes down to uh, world champion uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair versus the American Dream Dusty Rhodes.
0: What do you have to say about that? Uh, Western boots make an appearance in this match. They do make an appearance. Not only is Dusty wearing the Western boot with the classic design, but remember, he had his ankle broke leading up to this. Yes. And I recall that because this is right when... Like, I had discovered when uh, wrestling was coming on Turner Television back in the day, like when we first got cable and stuff like that. So I remember Dusty Rhodes coming out and doing the whole interview saying that this is the first time in the history of his career that he has been unable to perform. Okay. And I was just, wow. Yeah. I'm so glad I caught this. (laughs) Right. And then, you know, led uh, all sorts of angles and such like that. But he was wearing the orthopedic boot which was a white boot that the horsemen or the Andersons at the time. Yes. Remember, Ric Flair was a face became a heel when, uh, I believe it was Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes against the Andersons in a cage. Yes. Or uh, against the Russians in the cage. uh, The Russians. Yes. Sorry. And because they were coming off that, uh, great American bash. Correct. Where Flair fought Nikita. Um, Andersons come out and jump on Rhodes. Flair doesn't do anything at the beginning until the end. Flair comes off the top and breaks Dusty Rhodes' ankle. Right. So Dusty has to wear this orthopedic boot, which Flair and the Andersons claim is a loaded boot. It's got metal in it. But when you look closely at it, it's the standard Western boot. It's just white. Right. It even has the straps on the side.
1: Yeah, so it's basically he's wearing the Western boots. One is, is it red and white? Uh, one is red and white. The other one is it's just, 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 just white. stark white. But that supposedly that signifies that that's the orthopedic boot. Yes. Very nice. Um, I thought not one, one of my like a, not a real standout flare dusty match. In the no, no. Effect. It's the
0: usual flare and dusty match. And I pointed this out to you. And this is a question I've always had. And I don't know when I'll be able to ever get this answered or how. But dusty for some reason always works the right leg. Like, granted, standard wrestling convention is you work the left and blah 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 blah. But Dusty always works the right, like even back in the WWF days. And I was, why is that? Yeah, you know, just, just why? You know, maybe. Well, I can't, I can't lay on my left hip, brother. Oh, oh, okay. You know, I just, I just want to know. Yeah, there's got to be some reason you can. You started to do this. Yes. And some reason that you continue to do this. But yeah, it's the pretty basic uh Ric Flair Dusty Rhodes match where Ric Flair is a pinball. But I just have a note written it. Ric Flair is so good. Yeah, oh, right. Absolutely. Just so good. Everything is like effortless and flawless the way yeah, it's. Yeah, just just timing and this is what we're gonna do and bing, 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 boom. I'm on my back again. Right. Just just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, a a real solid
1: match uh in that sense. Um but nothing that, again, that really
0: jumps out in the aspect of this was really, you know, a great uh, moment. Right. Uh, the one thing that does jump out of this match, the spectator. Yeah. That keeps shouting for Dusty Rhodes. Dusty the entire Road. match. Dusty Rhodes. Woo. 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 Dusty yes. Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes. That guy what? went 25 minutes Broadway.
1: Just shouting. Just his name.
0: shouting Dusty Rhodes and woo, woo, woo the entire match. Yeah. Um, there was no let up. In that one whatsoever. No let up. Uh, nobody gets color in this match. Uh, except. Until. <laughs> right. After the end, uh, yes. or getting to the finish, yes. the Andersons all run in. Right. To try and interfere. Because there's in a ref match. bump in this, was there? I uh, believe so, yes. Yes. Yeah, there is a ref bump. Yes, because, because that causes the, the problems on television. Sets yeah. Boom. So the ref is bumped. The Andersons come in. Arn Anderson comes in. Dusty gives him one shot with the white boot. Yes. Anderson bumps, rolls out of the ring, carves the hell out of his forehead. Yes. Just gets wicked color for the boss. Right. Cuz again, Dusty's booking. Uh, second ref comes to ringside. Dusty Rhodes c- climbs to the top, comes off with a crossbody. And I think it was in Terry Funk's book more than hardcore. We talked about Dusty saying, "I just go up to that top turnbuckle and I'll fly on you like an eagle baby and it'll <laughs> look beautiful." Instead, this huge packet of warm suet that you would feed a bird right. just kind of slumps off the top turnbuckle oh, right, right. onto Dusty, onto Ric Flair. Boom! Referee counts one, two, three. Dusty is announced as the NWA World Heavyweight right. Champion, and then that is basically that. That's where the show wraps. The show wraps. I want to state on the Best of Starcade tape VHS collection that I got at one time, uh, the Magnum TA is framing the whole thing. He says his goodbye after one match, but then at the end, this match with Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair is just tacked on with no explanation, just here's this match, here's the woo-woo guy. Boom, Dusty Rhodes is the new champion. Next week on television.
1: Wait, hold on, before we get to that, oh, there's wait. one more thing if Okay, get sorry, to me, sorry, sorry. That is a great moment is they uh, throw it back for a little bit, or they uh, throw it back to Bob Cottle and uh, Tony Schiavone, who are discussing and kind of running down the card and going through the winners and the losers and talking about what a great event it is. Uh, at that point, they throw it to Dusty Rhodes in the locker room, and it might have been Tony Schiavone talking, and then they sent it, and Bob Cottle was in the back, yep. and all the boys are celebrating. And by the way, when Dusty wins the belt— It is a feeble attempt at lifting him up in the middle of the ring. Uh, He
0: was was not a small man.
1: No, but it was a very feeble attempt. So now they're backstage, and everyone's partying and celebrating. And Dusty gets on the mic, and he's talking about how this
0: is for you. And then out of nowhere, Wahoo
1: McDaniel walks into frame.
0: Yeah, well, no, just wait. Everybody is shooting champagne on each other. Everybody's just drenched. And then Wahoo McDaniel looks like the dad that walks in wearing, on family, a golf shirt. Right, wearing a golf shirt,
1: walks like the dad that walks into like his children's to the basement where his kids are having a party, like yep, an alcohol yep. party or something. And is just looking around partially confused. Kind of looks like he just saw a ghost. Yeah. Like, just kind of like what is happening here? And then Dusty throws it to him in the post match. And he's like, you get right. Well, I got my buddy Wahoo, whatever. And Wahoo's just like, yep, you do.
0: You do. Yep. And then he just walks out of frame. Good, good job, these. Dream. It is. Just uh, like, I'm not going to do this yeah, shit. Is, no, you got to uh, yeah. get up here or you're not getting paid. Uh, Absolutely well, priceless. Yeah, that's um, good.
1: Yeah. So, and that's how the show ends. Um, again, a fantastic show top to bottom.
0: Before oh, we. Oh, just wait. The people that are celebrating in the locker room. Now, Manny Fernandez. Yes. Name character, but Italian stallion. Uh, Denny Brown yes like these are the guys like the ring crew is celebrating with Dusty Rhodes right Right, but you know, most of the other faces were at the other building, or they just didn't want to be on there. And they, hey, Wahoo, get up there! Where's Billy Jack? Why didn't he have to go? Ah, he's out back with so and so. Just, just go, go up there. there and do your thing. Yeah, um, okay. And, and before we get into like our thoughts on the match and just kind of like wrapping
1: it up, uh, a lot of stuff kind of comes out of this Starcade. And I think the important thing that people need to realize, if they don't already, is that this builds towards some of the uh, well. Two thing, two crazy things happened. First thing being, you were going about to get into it with the Dusty match and the heavyweight championship, the title change.
0: Yeah, it's announced on TV the next uh, next Saturday that the wrong referee, the original referee, w- was trying to signal for a disqualification when he got knocked out, so that the title has been returned to Ric Flair. Everything gets overturned. Absolutely. So you have this whole pay per view, the build up to the Dusty
1: Flair match. They have uh, Dusty go over on the show. The crowd is electric he cuts this amazing promo backstage and then next week it's all null and void boom sorry just like that um definitely a uh
0: i don't know would you call that a bait and switch oh absolutely i mean but it was a dusty finish just not done in the right now i know you're saying was this the origin of dusty finish Eh, Mm -hmm. maybe right I mean, Dusty was booking at the time. Then he started using that finish over, but it would happen in the ring, right? But
1: I think that we could definitely look at this point as a major episode in the controversial Dusty quote quote, unquote finish as something that goes along with that. Now, the other thing that comes out of Starcade '85, The Gathering, is uh, in January the Four Horsemen form for the first time. Yes, that's when they officially come together. So um, at that. I'm assuming at that point, after everything you've said with Buddy Landell, this
0: is the point, uh, something must have happened at that, that they decided to go in the other direction, right? Right. Um, The story was Ric Flair needed to take time off to spend with his wife, but then the thing with Buddy Landell happened, and Flair never took the time off. So, again, this is the general story. Who knows what actually happened? But the only thing to be verified is, Buddy Landell did lose his job because he got coked up and didn't make a TV taping. Right, right. So Sorry. yes, so
1: we got so we have the show ends in a prolonged dusty finish, and everything, the whole everything, the events of the show, and all that lead to the formation of the Four Horsemen. Um, also, on the heels of Starcade '85, the Gathering, uh, you have the WWF holding WrestleMania two that spring, mm-hmm. and to outdo crockett who
0: who was from two locations on this show he was at two
1: locations uh the omni and greensboro now the wwf comes from three locations
0: yes they tried to do east coast midwest and california but they did what three matches from every location or four matches? i think it's three or four so the main event at the east coast was uh piper and t in a boxing match Main event at the Midwest was the uh, the Bulldogs yeah. against the Dream Team for the title with Ozzy Osbourne that had no idea he was even at a wrestling right. match. Right, And then the main event at the uh, LA Sports Arena was uh, Hogan and Bundy. Yes, in the cage. Yes.
1: So uh, definitely a trendsetter and a, the Starcade 85, the Gathering, the Gathering, was a uh, – Definite start and impetus for a lot of things to happen in the wrestling world. Yeah. Um, good night for quick color. Good night for Western style boots. Yes. What do you think of the show overall? Like when you think of shows that you've seen, is this a show that would stand out as something that has enough memorable things on it that it's definitely something that should go down as a, um, a, I mean, it's a notable pay-per-view, but is it a, a one of the better pay-per-views or do you just think it's just a, a, another pay-per-view,
0: a standard run of the mill? What do you thought? What do you think? Uh, it's not required viewing, but I would put it in your like top 10 to top 15. Right. Like you should experience it if even, you know, especially if you're a Western boot fanatic. Right. There's there's a lot on that. No, I hammer on that, but there was a lot of good wrestling, but it was a slice of wrestling at that time. And it is definitely very entertaining.
1: I was going to say, I think if you were looking for uh, the, if someone said to you, well, I'm just familiar with what was going on in WWF what was it like elsewhere? I think that this is a card that you could show them with enough name recognition and enough um, gimmicky stuff and enough action to keep you interested for
0: the whole show. Would you agree with that? Yes. If only if they were trying to figure out how pulling a sombrero off a pole (laughs) means a death match. Right, right. Well, that's,
1: yeah. I mean, to to each his own, but I think uh, every the match served its purpose. Yes, and I definitely think that again, as a, like you said, a snapshot. of Yeah, it's that not wasted time. time. Not no, not, time at all, not at all. Not at all. It's. I will say, I think it's one of my favorite. It's Fair definitely uh, up there with. Um, I mean, I don't I, if if someone to to say hey, what pay per view should I watch or what should I watch? This is probably one of the top three things I think I'd have them watch, just yeah. because I really. Okay. It gives you. I think it gives you that absolute flavor of what was happening in the the area at that time. Even better than the
0: Young Bucks. I don't even know who that is. Yeah, I know. I know.
1: <laughs> very good. No, All but right. it
0: was a very different style. Uh, I do recommend it. Again, the wrestling at this time was promoted towards emotion instead of the wow factor. So that's right. that's once you get over that hurdle or that difference, it really makes sense in what they're trying to doing what they're trying to do and the emotion they're trying to pull out of you as opposed to we're going to impress you with all of this stuff that draws money and everything like right. that. But it, it's a different, you know, they're, they're cheering from their eyes instead of cheering from their heart. Right. You know? ah, Back in my day. Back in my day. that yeah. These common
1: threads always yes. running through. Um, Derek, this has been fun. I'm glad we took the time to do this. Uh, I'm glad we took our time and did it in two shows too. This would have been uh, an incredible task to try to tackle in one. Uh, lots of great information, great wrestlers, another slice of history. And, um, you know, I really enjoy things like this. I hope in the future we're going to do more uh, event-based uh, podcasts where we can really kind of dissect the boots and the outfits. Hey, don't talk to me. Talk to the booker. Yes, we, we absolutely will. Um, thank you again to everybody for listening uh, to Cigars and Conversations. Uh, we appreciate all the feedback. We appreciate all the love from everyone that listens. Again, any questions, please get yeah. in
0: contact with us. If you have any vintage shows you want us to go through, send those in.
1: Anything you think that would be a great topic for us to cover, we would absolutely love to do it. Um, other than that, I would just like to say, again, a huge thank you to our sound engineer, Kyle, who uh, just goes above and beyond with us every time and just does a fantastic job. And again, we're so happy he watched Starcade 85.
0: And he's a good hugger, too. The Gathering. Good
1: um, we'd like to thank Eric Arsenal for the intro song. And you can catch us exclusively at OneGimmickWorld.com. Until next time, I'm your co-host, Jake Yoke, sitting here with the one, the only, Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Take care and stay safe.
0: Safely. (laughs)